0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning we are going to be diving into um, what Jesus said to the scribe. Okay, this is uh, this is one of those iconic lessons, right? The iconic lessons that was that was taught. Uh, a lot of your Bibles probably have a heading above it that says the greatest commandment, right? So this is uh, one of those things that uh, you know. We can really rest in that we can see. We as humans, though, sometimes we can look at this and think about commandments, right? We can have a negative kind of uh, atmosphere or a negative feeling about commandments, right? We're human. Some of us don't like rules. Some of us don't like being commanded to do something, okay? But I hope that you see these commandments are from Jesus and not necessarily a set of rules, but freedom, joy, and actually the gospel, Okay. That's what I hope that we get to see today. This time we have together, we are going to be diving into Jesus's words, okay? We're going to actually pull them apart. I want to get us uh, get us to see what Jesus said because He placed these words very carefully in Scripture, right? He used Old Testament, but uh, we're going to see that uh, what He said, it was carefully placed. okay? We're also going to see, kind of the way the scribe responded back, because I think that's important for us to see as well, All right? So if you want to divide this up into a couple of points, if you will, it's what did Jesus say and how did the scribe respond to Jesus? And I think those are going to be our two main points that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, And fortunately for us, this is an iconic text right? It is something that we can learn from. It is something that is really great for us to lean into. Uh, It is one of the greatest commandments, and I pray that God will meet us here, okay? I pray that he will show us what this greatest commandment, right? Our our Bibles are probably not wrong by saying this is the greatest commandment, okay? So, uh, and I hope that with this that uh, we can see his word. Can you, uh, I'm going to pray, so if you could just pray with me as we and begin to embark on this. So, uh, Father, Lord, uh, we come before you uh, inside of this pavilion, Lord, um, come before you as believers or not yet believers, God, but in that same side, Lord, we want to come to the foot of your cross. We love, we desperately desire your understanding and a heart change inside of us. Lord, I pray that our heart would become soft, that we can see these commandments that you've given us as good. Lord, I pray that we can see these commandments as uh, a way that uh, you've equipped us and you are nurturing us in that process. Father, I pray that your message would reign true today. Lord, not my message, but yours. Lord, I pray that uh, that Pastor Joel out in Pineta right now, Lord, is diving into your word as well, Lord, that you would equip him to, uh, to, to preach your gospel. And it wouldn't be Joel's gospel, but it would be yours as well. So, Father, I pray that you would meet us here, that you would, uh, that you would own us, Lord, that you could uh, equip us uh, in that gospel that, uh, that you love so much and that you continue to talk about through all scripture, God. Pray that you meet us here today, in Christ's name. Amen. So the greatest thing, right? So this is one of the greatest things. It, uh, it is the greatest commandment. So if you want to take a quick step back in time with me, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, what kind of this conflict or, or these conversations that Jesus has had. Um, and he's had them with the Pharisees, and he's had them with the Sadducees so far, right? Right. Pharisees were these, uh, these Jewish rulers of the time, right? They knew the Old Testament very, very well. The Sadducees, right, they were kind of those high rollers. They, were, uh, they kind of casted uh, a little bit of uh, a law out, right? But they were the high rollers. They had a lot of political influence, right? And both in the past couple of weeks, we've seen that both of these uh, groups of people, right, were trying to undercut Jesus, They were trying to catch him off guard. They were trying to pin him down and trying to get him to kind of stumble over his words, right? They were kind of saying, they were trying to point him to blasphemy, right? They were trying to give him all of these, they asked these, oh, even the the Sadducees, they asked him these ridiculous, like, off-the-wall questions. If you remember from last week, which was Easter, right, which we oh, ultimately, we love Easter, right, but still the Sadducees at that same time, they asked this crazy, off-the-wall, just ridiculous question about marriage and death and who's going to be in the resurrection and people dying six, six times, and I mean, it was it was crazy, it was absurd, it was exaggerated, okay, now that exaggeration, you know that, uh, that exaggeration was just really trying to get Jesus to... Uh, stumble over his words, but we know that Jesus, being Jesus, answered them, and he answered them intelligently, and he also answered them with a beautiful heart, right? Jesus is God, so that goes without question there, okay? We notice that uh, that now we're at this point in scripture where we've got this third, like, we'll call them sect of people, sect of people, Right And there are the scribes. Now, uh, a little while back, we've talked about scribes and uh, their conflict there with Jesus uh, when they were at the dinner table, when Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? But these scribes now, these scribes are people. There are a group of people that, um, they're a group of people that know and understand and interpret the law. They take all of the commandments. That were laid out, and they and they they force Jewish law on them. They basically write more laws, so you can almost look at them as like uh, lawyers, if you will, or in a sense you can look at them as as lawgivers, right? So these people, these scribes, are very very well versed. They are very well understanding of Old Testament scripture, right, and. That's that's kind of their that's kind of their point. Now we have this scribe in our story. We have this scribe that comes to Jesus, and he asks him one simple question. Okay, and really uh, we have to look at this as this scribe. If you take a look at your if your Bible, if you look at verse twenty eight, it says one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. So he's hearing Jesus argue with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There's a little bit of a argument going on, right, and recognized that he had answered them well, he asked them, what commandment is foremost of all, or what commandment is the most important of all? Now, understanding where the scribe is coming from, right, and his, under, and his understanding and kind of processing all of these laws, right, points to the direction that the scribe is actually kind of curious, Okay. It also alludes to a couple of things that the scribe may have been thinking, right? And we gotta kind of have to use a little bit of a sanctified imagination, a little bit, and kind of where the scribe was at. Okay. So with that, he might have been trying to do two things at the same time. One, this scribe was—he could have been trying to save face, right? He's trying to be like, well, this, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're trying to pin Jesus down, and that's our kind of our ultimate goal. We want to pin Jesus into stumbling over his words and to be a blasphemous person, right? So I kind of want to save face. But on the flip side of it, the other thing that he could be doing is that the scribe we see is actually kind of curious, right? And when Griffin read, you heard later on in the passage, he goes, Right, teacher. Right, so he's he's recognizing that Jesus actually is a great teacher. So there's kind of maybe two things going on there, right? He's trying to pin Jesus down and kind of save face with all of his people that he's hanging with, and also trying to get like, hey, I've written all of these rules down before. I know all of the rules and commandments that old scripture or Old Testament scripture says right? And at the time, they didn't call it Old Testament scripture. I'm just saying that really for our own understanding, right? At the time, it was just the scriptures. Okay, as you got to remember, we're reading out of the New Testament right now, which wasn't written when Jesus was talking. So it was just the scriptures at the time, right? So if this scribe knows all that stuff, he's actually trying to process a little bit of life. And that is an interesting point for us, right? He asks, what commandment is most of all and of course jesus in his being jesus old jesus fashion right he answers him with old testament scripture right so if you look if you read it with me it says most important is this he says hear O israel the lord our god the lord is one And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, we're going to sit here for just a hot second because there's a lot to really unpack with what Jesus said. All right. It's easy easy for us to read this as a set of rules. Okay, Jesus says, Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor. Great. Mark, mark, mark. I'm done. I don't need to do anything more. I can say I've I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbor. Yeah, we did good. Okay. We can read them as a set of good rules to make us good in society, right? We can say that. We are good moral humans because we can mark these things off, right? Sometimes we could take a look at this list and be like, well, I guess to prove that I'm a Christian, I have to do these things and this is what I'm going to do in the process and this is what it's going to look like today. Or you can look back on some of your own aspects of life and be like, well, that's where I love my neighbor like myself and that's where I love God with all my strength, right? Because... I didn't want to get up this morning and I put on some strength and I read my Bible and I decided to love God in that moment, right? So it can look like something that we do to be morally correct, okay? But I want us to see how this is more than just a complete set of rules. I want us to see that God is more, this love that we're talking about is more than just a set of rules. So with it, I want to talk about some of the technical notes that we're going to get into with this, right? So if you look at the scripture just in general, right, and you want to pull out some really meaty information on this, okay, Jesus's response, okay, you probably see in your Bible, it's all written in capital letters, right? At least it is in mine. Maybe it's different on yours. But most of the time when Jesus references Old Testament scripture, right, it's written in all capital letters, all right? So in this, Jesus is actually reciting back to the scribe this thing called the Shema, all right? Now, I'm I'm not a professor of, of Jewish faith, but the stuff that I've read and studied says that the Shema, right, comes out of Deuteronomy 6, all right? And this Shema is something in Jewish tradition that they would say morning and night. They would recite these exact words. You shall love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Okay, so interesting point there, just a tidbit of information. Jesus decided to throw in the word mind as well. Okay, but that's besides the point. So this is something that that the Jews at the time knew very well. And this is actually something that kind of makes Jesus a bit of a comedian if you look at it, right? Because he's not only responding to this scribe, in a sense, to give him a good answer, but he's actually using scripture that he knows, that they recite morning and night. It is something that becomes ritualistic to them, right? Think about, think about uh, something as simple as brushing your teeth, right? You're supposed to brush your teeth in the morning, you're supposed to brush your teeth at night, right? At the time when you do it, it's just something that you do, it's something that you're just, I'm brushing my teeth, but you don't know the outcome if you don't brush your teeth. Also, it becomes just something that is a, a natural thing. You're, it's not. It's, it doesn't become as important, right? It's just something that you do. But... Over time, you know, you have good, clean teeth. You don't see the dentist so so much. You know, it's actually the long term has got a big thing. So things that we do in a ritualistic fashion sometimes lose a little bit of the heart value and design that they're that they're actually there for. All right. So uh, with this, he was proving the scripture that pointed to Jesus. So Jesus was proving this that this this. Uh, uh, worship your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength was pointing to jesus the entire time okay And we'll prove it again in the next section. You'll see how this constantly is being pointed to Jesus. And I'm not going to necessarily get into it, but if you're one that wants to read ahead, I encourage you to read on to the next chunk of verses in Mark, because uh, that's kind of where Jesus kind of brings it all together and shows that all of this scripture is pointing to him. I'll let Pastor Joel kind of unpack all that. I'm not going to get into verses that uh, we're not going to be into today. But with that, just know that all of this scripture that Jesus is saying is pointing to God and pointing to himself, right? So my question to you then is when we read, when we read the words, love your God with all your heart, with all your, uh, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Do you have any questions that pop up in your head, right? Do you have any convictions maybe that are inside of your heart? Does it maybe make you squirm in your chair a little bit? Okay, so I'm going to start off by talking about rules, okay? Do you like rules? I know for me, I actually really like rules, because I'm a rule follower by nature, and I want to know where I can operate in. Maybe it's a little bit of the military in me, right? I want to know how far I can go before I've crossed the line. I like to operate inside of rules. But I would, I would challenge that some of you don't like rules, right? Some of you hear rules and you kind of want to say, oh, what do I need to do to buck that system, right? So I was reading this uh, this book. I was uh, I've read it in the past, and I kind of this whole part of this whole rules thing kind of popped up. And there was there's a book called How People Change. All right, it's written by uh, Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. Um, and we talk about Paul Tripp a lot. We do love Paul Tripp here at Cross Point Coast. But in this book, on how people change, he throws a scenario out there about rules. Okay? So this scenario, now mind you, it's just it's a little off, it's a little off, but it's just for the sake of conversation to kind of understand it. I'm going to kind of dig into it a little bit. All right, so let's paint a little bit of a little bit of a, a little bit of a scenario, if you will. So you have this uh, single woman, right? Gets hired in at a workplace. Okay, she's got hired in by a manager, but has never met the boss or the CEO. Okay, she's in an office, right? You kind of see where we're going with this. So inside of this office, right, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of cubicles going on, and at the end of the hallway, the CEO has a bulletin board posted. Okay, she's never met the CEO, but in, on that bulletin board, this is uh, mind you, I'm paraphrasing what's in this book. All right, I'm not quoting this exact book, but so on that bulletin board, okay, on that bulletin board is a set of rules. And for the employees, what time their schedule is, right? It tells you how to maximize profits. It tells you what they need to do and when and how to use, you know, printer, whatever, right? So the CEO is communicating to all the employees via a bulletin board. Now, the perspective of this single woman that's sitting there, right, she gets to look at the bulletin board, she can have this perspective of, like, that bulletin board is cold, right? That guy never comes out of his office. He just sits there constantly. Right? He all he does is bark orders through what's written on this bulletin board and I'm supposed to just follow it. I don't even know the guy. He doesn't even have any vested interest in who I am as a person, right? All he wants is all he wants is for me to perform. Okay? Now, scenario happens. This employee's been working for this company now for some time, right? And in the the way the book kind of outlines it is that uh, there becomes a little bit of a relationship between boss and employee, right? So this single woman tends to find out that the CEO, the boss of this place, happens to be single as well, and they start a relationship. Now, mind you, I'm going to throw out all of the you know, regulations about workplace relationships and all that stuff. You have to kind of separate all that stuff out of your mind right now, right? But say, for instance, this employee, this single woman, meets this single guy Right, and they start a relationship, and ultimately, over time, they ended up getting married. Right now, right, this employee can potentially, now, this employee really has an opportunity to look at that bulletin board under a different microscope or a different lens. Because now that she has a relationship built with the CEO or the boss, right, that bulletin board isn't just a bunch of cold rules telling people what to do. It's actually love, saying this is how to stay the business profitable. And when the business is profitable, you're, you will be profitable. When when I'm telling you when to come into work, it's because I want you to know when to leave so you can spend time with your family. the the employee then can look at that bulletin board under a different light and say, actually, those rules aren't necessarily that bad. They're there as a protection. They're there and it's something good. Now the rules though, the rules on the bulletin board never changed. They were the same rules from the minute she got hired to the minute that she married that CEO, right? But what did change was the relationship. Okay, so I want you to see that just the rules that Scripture has—they are the same as they were. If you were, if you have, are new to Christ, or if you're uh, young in the faith, they are the same rules as they were from before, as they are now. But our relationship with the Lord changes, so therefore the rules aren't cold. They're not a, lot, a, a set of. of, of dictations that tell me what I need to do when I don't want to do them. We can see rules as love. We can see rules as life guidance. And in the book, there is one quote I do want to say. It says, "...a new life, the outward fruit of a believer's life, does not grow out of stoic obedience to God's commands, but a heart that has been captured and captivated by the giver of those commands." There will be times when obedience is difficult, but even the struggle will grow out of a sense of rules, and there is because a personal God cares for you, okay? So rules, rules look painful sometimes, and sometimes they are painful, but the rules are there in love, and that's what we're going to try to talk about, right? So we take, these outline, we take these commandments that are outlined in Scripture, knowing that the giver of these commands has the ability to fulfill them. Does your attitude change? So the giver of these commands, does our attitude change when we read these commandments? Love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This checklist, you can look at this as a checklist. It's not a checklist, right? But it goes even a little bit farther because really what we're talking about here is love, right? I talked about rules, but love is what you see paramount in all of this scripture. Actually, what Jesus said, there are two things that are really huge. It says love and it says the word all. Those words are repeated a lot in this grip of text, all right? So, but it says love. It says, love your God with all your heart. Love your God with all your soul. Love your God with all your mind. Love your God with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, hopefully, now we're at this point of going, all right, so rules are designed in love. What is love then? Right? What is love? And this is interesting, right? And this is where, I'm going to be really honest, where I struggled a little bit this week. Because I want to be able to articulate a very clear definition of love, right? I want to be able to tell you this is what love is. But I could say things like, I really love Matt's brisket. Or I really love Mercury Outboards. Or I really love Cape Canaveral. But what does that mean when I say I love these things? I think as a person, as a human, right, we can look at this as something that I just really, really like. But can I identify love? Furthermore, society, society, all around us, say that we can love without Christ's love. Right? You see this all over the place. You know, you have your little signs you post on the walls that just say love, right? And maybe all that is true. Maybe, there is, maybe it comes from a heart, but what does it mean to you? What does, when, when Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what does it mean to love? I don't have a great answer for you because I'm only a person, right? I know what I like. Um, But I know that there are scripture that point us to that because God is love. And that's really where I want us to rest today. God is love. And if God is love, he is the initiator of love. And he shows us what love is so that we can love God back with all of our heart all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, okay? And hopefully you can see that all of, this, all of this points to the cross because really, in essence, the entire Bible is talking about love, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, all right? God loves us. He showed us love, right, so that we can love back, so I'm going to read a couple of verses. If you're a note taker, um, please take, jot these notes down. If you're not, you could just listen, all right? So in Scripture, there are a couple of key verses, a couple of chunks of verses that really show this and kind of put this in an articulate way so that us as humans can understand it, right? So some of the, one of these verses come, one of these chunks of verses comes out of 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Right? It says, Beloved, let love or beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God was sent his only son to the world so that we may live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. If you don't know what that word is, that's a reconciliation by God through the atonement, a propitiation, okay? So God, loving us, sent his son to the world with the perfect understanding with the perfect identification the perfect aspect of love i can't put that in terms in english for you right I, this the bible does it right but it is more than just words to describe what this love that god is talking about because this love is an action it is it has motion it has movement it has Love from God has a, a, a redemptive heart to it. Love from God is, is more than just saying, I really, really like something. Love from God fights, right? Love from God protects. Love from God nurtures. Love from God upholds truth right? And the way that looks, right, from an outside perspective is different, right? It can look different from each one of us. But the truth is, is that God is love. He is showing us what love is through all of scripture. And the best we can do is, the best I could do this morning for you is just keep reading some more Bible verses, right, to show us what this love is. But that is an experience that you need to have with the holy God, because I cannot, do that for you. I can help you see what God is and see that God is love, but there is nothing that I could do from the pulpit to make that happen in you. There is nothing that I can do in myself to drum up this love that God was talking about or that Jesus was talking about at this time, right? So I'm going to keep reading, okay? Okay. In 1st John it continues in 1st John 4:18 through 20 it says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love we love because he first loved us if someone says i love god but in the end hates his brother or sister he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen So, honestly, that, verse, that chunk of verse right there makes me squirm a little bit, right? When I don't, don't seek God's love, when I don't rest in his love that he's given me. And I try to drum up this idea of like, hey, I really love my kids when they play sports. I love watching that, right? Actually, I really, really like it. But could I love it with the love that God's given me, right? Could I love that with some strength? Maybe. But do I? The beauty of this text, and I hope, uh, I hope you rest in it, is that it's the Lord, who is God, is not calling us to fulfill these commandments out of our own understanding of love. Because our own understanding is futile. Okay? It only possesses the ability to really like something. Our God gives us all we need to love so that we can love with our whole heart. But not with our whole heart, but from our whole heart. There's a difference there. We can love God back not with our own heart, but from our own heart. He first loved us and gave us an example of his son so that we can love with all. And I mean all. Jesus said it. He said the word all like five times. Okay? With all of our heart right? Which you can, you can, uh, to help you see what heart means. If you're trying to understand, well, what does heart mean? It'd be like your emotions, right? How do you love God with all your emotions, with all of your soul, right? All of your spirit, the spirit that God has given you, right? All of your mind, which is would be your intelligence, right? How much do we dig into scripture? And we love God through the intelligent side of reading scripture and understanding it, right? All of our strength, which would be all of our will, that we have in our day. And to put more action to it, right, Jesus said to, uh, to spread the gospel by loving our neighbor as ourselves. A quote from Tim Keller said it this way, we have not fulfilled the law by avoiding what the law prohibits, but we must do what the law is really after, which is love. Okay. I can't stress it anymore. God gives us love so that we can love him back, really. (laughs) It's it sounds crazy, right? But for us to identify what love is and not make it a checklist, we have to know who gave us love in the first place. And it's Jesus. It is Jesus. It is his death on the cross. It is his resurrection, right? It is it is us seeing Paul being being called out in his sin of, of, of trying to destroy the Christian movement, right? And come into Christ. That is love, right? We can see God's love through David. We can see God's love with Moses. We can see God's love even in a very uh, interesting way through, through the book of Job. We can see it with Solomon who had a bunch of riches, right? We can see God's love through it all. Because it's not just what we read in our own intellectual, it's our will, it's our heart. It's what God, is, it's what God has made. In Ephesians, verse 2, if you're a note taker, write this down. Ephesians, verse 2, uh, verse 4 through 7, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he first loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, him, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, another example of this. Comes uh, what Jesus says in the book of John, verse 13, 34, and 35. It says, A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How do we love one another? How do we love one another? Is it just something we really do, or is it sacrificial? How do we love one another? How do I love my spouse, right? How do I love my kids? How do I love the neighborhood I live in, the people that God's put in front of my life? How do I love those people, Paul also says in Romans 13:10, love does not wrong does I'm sorry. Love does not does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, again, on a very technical note, Paul was when he was talking to the Romans who were very technical, very very law-abiding, right? Said that love is a fulfillment of the law. The scripture, all of, these, all of these verses, right, proves that God is love, okay? The list can go on and on because I, I've, I've said it before. It's more than just a couple of verses I can pull out and tell you this morning. It's really on the entire scripture. It's the community that we live in, living out the gospel, right, in love so that we can experience love so we can respond back to God in love. It's the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, This love is available and has been bestowed in our hearts, and we need to believe it. We need to experience it. We need to trust God will equip us with the love to love him and our neighbors. Okay? So the next part I want to get into is talking about the scribe's response, okay? want to talk about the scribe's response. It's important for us to see how he responded to Jesus, all right? Notice that the, that the, that the scribe, he didn't lash out to Jesus, right? He didn't try to undercut him, right? Which is kind of what I'm saying is that the scribe was a, probably a bit inquisitive, which is pretty interesting. You have a scribe... And if you kind of classify or stereotype all the scribes, they wanted to pin Jesus down. But he didn't respond that way. It's almost like this scribe, in a very, in a very human-like fashion, processed what Jesus had to say, right? Processed what Jesus had to say, um, took his own understanding of what he knows through the Torah, right? Processed it, regurgitated it, and spat it back out at Jesus with his own understanding, Right? And he says things really interesting there. He says, right, teacher. And then he repeats back to him exactly what he said. And then the huge thing there is, is that he processes it even farther and goes, it's more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Right? Now, that's huge. Because Jewish tradition at the time, Jewish, the, the Jews at the time were... All into the burnt offerings and sacrifice, an external view, right, of what they're supposed to have inside of their heart, right? It was an external view, right? People, they did a lot of burnt offerings. I was listening to one podcast. And they were even talking about the external view, people that were, uh, that were tithed, right? They had this big, um, this big uh, drum, if you will, or horn that you would throw money into. And when you threw the change into it, it would clang around a lot, right? So the clanging sound was an external view of how much money you gave, right? So you were awesome if you gave, like, a ton of money, right? Uh, and if it, just, if, it didn't, if it didn't cling a lot, then you didn't have a lot of money to give, so you weren't that awesome, right? It's kind of like this, they were big on these external views, but this scribe processes Jesus' words and goes, you're right, teacher. It's actually more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. So what does this mean to us? Okay? You see, the love that Jesus was talking about is more than a physical or outward sign. Still, we're still talking about that, right? It's still more than just an outward sign. So if I see these commandments as a set of rules, right, I'm still falling short because it's more than just an outwardly sign of how much love I have and how much I'm awesome for Jesus, right? wearing the cool t-shirt, have the cool hat, you know the bracelet WWJD, right? It's more than those things. It's an attribute. This love is an attribute of God. Like it says in 1 Corinthians the love verses, right? And Paul does a great job explaining these attributes. He says he says if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but I have no love. it profits me nothing. So all of our outwardly signs, right? They can all look good, but what is that impact? Where is our heart in those situations? What does God captivate us in? So in this, the scribe gets it, right? He understands to a point. Now that's where it kind of seemingly ends a little bit, right? And we don't really know the whole story. After this scribe has, we don't know the whole story, after this scribe has gone ahead and told Jesus, basically, the the laws back to him and said, yeah, you're right, teacher, this is more than just burnt offerings. Right, but a couple things we can see in this is that Jesus is classifying himself as God and part of the kingdom with his response. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So Jesus was saying And basically joining the kingdom of God with himself, right? So that's huge too, right? There's a lot of things going on right there. And he also says that you're not close or you are close. But he didn't say you are there. And that's huge. So sometimes you have to read what Jesus says. Right, And it's not necessarily everything that he says. It's almost what he doesn't say as well. He said, dear scribe, you are close to the kingdom of heaven. But he did not say you are in the kingdom of heaven. Right. So this kind of leads to a couple of different things. Right? This leads to a couple different things. And to be honest, the Bible isn't clear where this kind of goes, but I think for us there's a learning part or a a teaching element, right, that we can learn from this because the response of the scribe is really important and the response that Jesus gives him is really important as well. One, it says that people can come to the knowledge of Christ through his scripture and the heart follow on later, right? They can understand with their brain, but their heart doesn't actually have the change. Now, I'll be really honest, in my story, right, that's what happened to me. There was a lot of things that made sense, but I didn't feel or I didn't know that God had captivated my heart. There was a line drawn in the sand that that did happen, but for me, I understood in my head, like, before the heart change happened, right? For some people, it's a very emotional thing, right? It could be a very emotional time, and we can kind of stumble in some of that a little bit. We think to become a Christian, you have this emotional thing that draw, that is a, an immediate line in the sand, right? But sometimes it's a process, and I think that's okay, all right? Sometimes it's a process, and we can see that in the scribe. It says, you are close to the kingdom of God, Right? But you can also see it, so you could take that in one sense of going, okay, so the scribe's not necessarily there, but maybe he did become a follower of the Lord later on. It's possible, right? We don't know. But you could also look at it in a different light, too, and it says that, that it also could be the scribe's knowledge, right, that just gets him by, right? He could go forward through life knowing all of these amazing truths, right? He could proclaim them. He could teach them. He could do ministry work. He could talk about Jesus' triumph over death but it has never captivated his heart. So in a sense, he's a liar. So you got two different aspects there, right? And that should make us question a little bit. Lands us in a little interesting spot. Now those, there could be more, right? But what I'm saying is is that the scribe's answer and Jesus' response to him means that he processed it in his head, right? And without the heart change, there is no gospel transformation. Okay? I want to finish with a couple of things. All right? First, I want to finish off in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. First Peter is... Arguably one of my favorite books in the Bible. But it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved, for, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is God's love. This is the Jesus that gives us the power to love. He proves to us what love is and he shows us how to love. This is the Jesus that calls us to love with the gifts that he has given us. To love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I encourage you, I encourage you to read scripture, know in your mind, in your heart, love God back. Try to identify love for you. But really, what it comes down to is your experience with God. God is love. Seek God because God God gives you love. Jesus, we need Jesus more than we need the actual act of love, right? Because when we have Jesus, then love is follows.